0: Please turn with me now in your Bibles to Psalm 23, as we'll consider this evening the text for our Psalm of the Month. Let's read this psalm together, and then we'll pray. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray briefly. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would be near to us by your mighty Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us, to shepherd us through this psalm, lead us on paths of righteousness as You help us to incline our ears to hear you this evening. We pray that you would take your word and bless it to us. Bless it to us for your own namesake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that one of the chief ways that we benefit from the Psalms is by singing them. For that is what their intended purpose is. God gave them to us to sing them. And so these are first and foremost songs to be sung by the people of God. And no doubt many have benefited by the singing of Psalm 23. The mental imagery of the Lord as our shepherd. And we as his helpless sheep. Resonates pretty well with our souls, and the imagery is conjured up quite easily in our minds. But sometimes we need to slow down and ask well, how do we benefit most from the Psalms? In Psalm 23, as with all the Psalms, we will benefit most from them if we not only sing them, but we also sing them with understanding or with a right understanding. Understanding the psalm the way the Lord intended us to understand it in light of all of Scripture and not merely by our immediate associations. O. Palmer Robertson says this about Psalm 23. He says, generally, readers of Psalm 23, and I'll add to that, and singers of Psalm 23... Have been fully taken up in the personalized images of the Lord as their tender shepherd, so that they have failed to recognize Yahweh's kingly status in this psalm. And I know I'm definitely guilty of that very thing. I can't tell you how many years of my life I was drawn to the imagery of the Lord as my shepherd and claiming Him as my shepherd. And not giving a single thought to the Lord's kingship or his kingly status. Well, that is the great danger, I believe, of this well known psalm. It is so powerfully and beautifully laced with this tender imagery and comfort that we run the risk of misunderstanding something so crucial to the person, the character. And the status of the Lord our God. One, in fact, that should even deepen our understanding of the tenderness and the comfort that this psalm can truly provide. And so let's work our way through this psalm and let's seek to understand it aright that we may benefit most from it. We see first off in the title of this psalm that it is, Once again, a psalm of David. Now, most of you know that David was the king of Israel. But you also know that he was not the first king of Israel. Before David, we had Saul as the king of Israel. And before Saul, Scripture makes clear that it was the Lord God who was king over Israel. We can say this because the Lord told the last judge and prophet, um, Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them that was the Lord's response to Samuel when the people were clamoring after a king like the other nations. When they wanted a a human figurehead, a human representative to lead them as king. The Lord made it clear that he was their king. And in their desire for a king like the other nations, they were rejecting him as king. And so Saul became the first king, or you could say the first human king... Over Israel as their just reward for rejecting the Lord their God as king. But as we see, this psalm isn't written by Saul. And it's for good reason that this psalm isn't written by Saul, because first off, he didn't know the first thing about being a shepherd. And in God's mind, that's really what a true king was. A true king was supposed to be a shepherd over the people. The people were not mere subjects, as we oftentimes think of a king and his subjects. But when it came to God's people, the king was to view all of his subjects as if they were sheep. Sheep that he was to tend to, to care for, to feed, to protect. Being a king meant being a shepherd. And that makes it all the more interesting then when we see Saul raised up by the Lord to be the first human king over Israel as a punishment for their rejection of him. We see that Saul is out there looking for his father's donkeys that were lost. Saul couldn't keep track of his father's animals. The only resume or the only thing that Saul had going for him on his resume to be king was that he was tall and handsome. And that provides, then, such a contrast to what we see in the life of King David, the author of this psalm. That when David writes this psalm and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. He is writing as a king who understands what it means to be a shepherd himself. In contrast to Saul, when, when David is being sought out to be anointed by Samuel to be made king over Israel. Do you remember how that story played out? Samuel went to Jesse, the father of eight sons. And he went to Jesse looking for the next king of Israel. And Jesse had his first seven sons pass before Samuel and saying, well, maybe this one. Maybe this is the one the Lord is looking for to shepherd his people. And Samuel kept saying, no, not that one. Surely you have another son. And of course, Jesse did. Son number eight. And where was he? Well, he was to be found with his father's sheep, caring. For tending to his father's flock. David was a shepherd from his young age. And the scriptures make much of this aspect of David's life of being a shepherd. In fact, when David goes to the front lines of battle and he seeks to persuade Saul to let him go up and fight Goliath, Saul wasn't going to have it. He was like, no, you're, you're young, you're small. This giant over here has been a man of war since his youth. But David told Saul that day that David had been a shepherd from his youth. And whenever a lion or a bear would come and attack his father's flock, he would grab that bear by the mane, or he would grab or that lion by the mane, he would grab that bear by his fur, and he would wrestle his sheep free. He would protect them and save them, and he hadn't lost a single one of them. And he said all of this, following it up with the fact that the Lord had been his provider and deliverer in all of these instances. And if the Lord could provide deliverance from a lion and from a bear as they were attacking his father's sheep, then the Lord would also see to his deliverance as he was seeking to free the people of God from Philistine oppression, that the Lord would see to it that he could also shepherd God's people and not let them succumb to an enemy, even that Philistine giant. And so David knew a thing or two about being a shepherd. And Scripture makes that abundantly clear, that David knew what it was to be a shepherd over his father's sheep, It's no surprise to us then that as we work our way through this psalm, after this opening statement and declaration that the Lord is my shepherd, we're going to see wonderful imagery. Likely drawn from David's own life experience as a shepherd over his father's sheep. And the principles he understood as he himself saw himself as a shepherd or as a sheep, excuse me, under God's own shepherding care. So David acknowledges right away that the Lord is my shepherd. And in this statement, we need to see that the shepherd himself, the shepherd David, also had a shepherd. The shepherd himself, in a sense then, was also a sheep And we need to keep that in mind as we work our way through the psalm and as we, of course, won't stop with just seeing David in this psalm, but we will see the greater David and the one who will come and ultimately fulfill all that David foreshadowed. And if you even look there at the bottom of your bulletins, you're going to see a verse from Revelation. We'll get to it later on. But you're going to see that this shepherd that's being referred to in Revelation is also being referred to as a lamb, (laughs) Or has a sheep? And so right away we see that in this opening verse, verse 1, in David the shepherd declaring the Lord to be his shepherd, he is also declaring that he is a sheep himself. Well, the first conclusion that David draws from this reality of the Lord being his shepherd is there in the second half of verse 1 and it's the result of his trust in the Lord as his shepherd. I shall not want. Or to put it in different English, I shall lack no good thing. This, simply put, is the verbiage of contentment. This is a statement of absolute contentment. I shall lack no good thing. David understood here that when the Lord God is set apart and has his rightful place in the hearts and minds of his people, that there is a resultant rich contentment. That there is a life in which there is no lack. And that's a rarity. Contentment is such a rarity in any age, but you could think especially of our own age. We live in a day and age of consumerism, where we have this constant pressure coming in upon us as if contentment is just one more purchase away, one more possession away. We constantly feel that we need the next iPhone, and the next one after that, and the next one after that, if we're going to keep topping off our contentment. Or we need to find the next spouse, or the next job promotion, or the next move. This is what our culture says is the path to contentment. In fact, we live in a generation where contentment is oftentimes described by the math equation n plus one. That is simply the number you have currently plus one more. One more vacation one more mountain bike, one more fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is that you think you need in order to achieve contentment. But you and I both know well that that is simply a delusion. It's always beyond our grasp if we try to find contentment in anything but the Lord our God as our shepherd. And that's what David understood here, and that was the reality of David's life. And so David's words here speak to the very core of our fallen human condition. We constantly want more and more because we sense deep down that we lack, and one more thing or the next best thing will satisfy that lack. But nothing in this world will ever satisfy. Nothing in this world could ever provide The contentment that David is expressing here of, I shall not want, except the Lord being your shepherd. Beyond verse 1, we enter into four he statements there in verses 2 and 3. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. David is bursting forth with the wonderful deeds that the Lord works in his life as his shepherd. And of course, these are some of those beautiful images that come from the shepherding realm, at least the realm of shepherding in a rural area. We see that mention of green pastures. And we oftentimes think of green pastures as a place for grazing or feeding. And of course, sometimes Scripture speaks of green pastures in those ways. But here, the emphasis is upon the lying down. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, says David. This is not green grass for feeding, but green grass for resting in and reposing And that's important for us to recognize here because that is one of the great covenant blessings that the Lord is constantly promising to his people. And he not only promises this rest, but he always pairs it with his own presence. Exodus 33, Moses was found pleading with God to not stay back while the people of God went onward on their journey through the wilderness. In fact, Moses went on to say, if you don't go with us, there's no point in us going forward. We need you. And it's beautiful what the Lord says in Exodus thirty-three, fourteen, 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest is that wonderful blessing that the Lord gives through his presence. And so these are choice words. The Lord is David's shepherd and the Lord makes him to lie down. The Lord makes him to rest in green pastures. And the second imagery is quite similar. Uh, The second image, excuse me, there in verse 2. He leads me beside the still waters. Once again, we often think of waters as a place to drink, uh, to rehydrate. And that may be the case. But I think in connection with the first part of verse 2, as green pastures are oftentimes for feeding, uh, but the emphasis doesn't fall on the feeding, but on the resting, I think we ought to carry that same meaning forward here. He leads me beside the still waters. In fact, if you were to look at that word for still in the Hebrew, it would be that very word for rest, that covenant blessing. You could say, he leads me beside the restful waters. And so perhaps David is speaking about that soft trickle that would lull one to sleep. Whatever the case, this is a picture of restfulness. It is a picture of complete contentment, resting in what the Lord has provided. Well, the third image that we come across is one of restoration. He restores. A shepherd would oftentimes have to undertake this work of restoration, as sheep are not the most agile or sure footed animals. In fact, sheep can oftentimes be quite clumsy and negligent about where they're placing their limbs when they walk. And undoubtedly, David many a times would have had to bandage and seek to mend and restore broken limbs. In fact, this word for restoration comes up a lot in Scripture, uh, in terms of healing or restoring, bringing back to a functional or original condition. But of course here, David is not limiting this notion of restoration to the body, uh, but he is saying, the Lord restores my soul. In this context of shepherding then, in this shepherding of the soul We need to see here that David is talking about a a revitalization of his soul. As if the Lord had restored to him vitality after being drained of energy and vitality. And of course, David does record for us an instance in his life when his soul needed such restoration. In Psalm 32, David records these words. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. David is speaking about the very condition of his soul here in Psalm 32. After he had sinned against the Lord and had been silent about his sin when he let unconfessed sin fester inside of his soul, he lost all vitality. It was turned into the drought of summer. <clears throat> and so David knew the shepherding care of the Lord and leading him to receive forgiveness and restoration through repentance and confession of sin. So it's no wonder David could of the Lord, his shepherd, as one who restores his soul, as that's exactly what he did in his kindness leading him to repentance. We also see that fourth statement about what the Lord does, a shepherd, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Now, sheep would oftentimes walk paths, uh, maybe not well-worn paths that were free from obstacles, but uh, would take almost any path if they were left unguided or left unled. Uh, oftentimes, sheep would scatter at the sound of a of a lightning bolt or thunderclap. Sheep were not oftentimes very good at finding good paths to place their feet upon. Well, that is... Obviously, the case for the human condition as well, as all we like sheep have gone astray, that we go astray to our own paths where we do ourselves much harm, walking in unrighteousness, walking in wickedness, walking in ways that bring great hurt and harm to our well-being. Of course, David knew that quite well when he strayed from the path of righteousness and he committed that adultery with Bathsheba when he covered up the murder of his good friend Uriah. And David understood what it was to walk an unrighteous path. But David also understood what it meant to be led in a path of righteousness, to meditate upon God's word both day and night, to understand that God's word was a lamp unto his feet, Tell him and to show him where he should walk, to walk a path that would be straight and free from danger, free from the danger of self destructive sin. And so we see here David testifying to the shepherding care of his Lord and King, leading him in the paths of righteousness. And of course, we see then this wonderful addition at the end of these four. Key statements and it's all for his name's sake. Yes, it is one thing to declare the Lord as his shepherd. One thing to declare contentment in the Lord and to declare all of these wonderful blessings and benefits of the Lord's shepherding care of him. And although David could say, yes, these were for my greatest good. David is also keenly aware that when the Lord exercises such good and great blessing towards His people, He ultimately does so for His own name's sake. He ultimately does so so that we can return to Him in praise and honor and glory for the wonderful things that He bestows upon His sheep. And so that's verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 23. And we've seen that David is primarily speaking of the Lord or about the Lord in these first three verses. But here in verse 4 and 5, we see something of a shift in the way David is constructing his words. And now he begins to speak directly or sing directly to the Lord, his shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We get here another conglomeration of those wonderful shepherding images. We could just picture sheep walking through a dark valley. uh, A dark valley that could conceal many dangers. Either precipices that the sheep could fall off of. Or enemies, predators lurking in the shadows, seeking to devour. Then we see that instrument that a shepherd would carry, that rod and staff, that instrument that could be used both to fend off enemies, the rod to beat them away, but also that staff, that, that curved stick where a shepherd could grab the neck, Of a sheep and steer the sheep away from one of those precipices, one of those cliffs that would end in certain ruin. And so we see this wonderful imagery, and David likely would have been familiar with this in his life, as he would have had to lead his own sheep through such dark valleys. But it's also here that I want to take us beyond simply the experience of David. Because it is here that we are forced to think more than just a dark valley, but as the text says, the valley of the shadow of death. And if we remember where we are in the Psalter, we just came from Psalm 22. And that was the psalm that recorded for us Jesus' own words on the cross as he died. As he, we could say, walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And In this light, I think it's also extremely appropriate to look at a psalm like Psalm 23 and realize that these are equally the very words of Jesus. Not his words on the cross, but his words reflecting even here upon the cross. And giving us insight into our Savior's disposition, even as he passed through death. Even as he passed through the wrath of God for our sin. Even after he went to lay in the tomb in darkness for three days. Our Savior did not fear this evil that befell him, the evil due to him because of our sin. He did not fear because he understood from Psalm 23 the very promise towards the Davidic king. The very trust that David had in his shepherd was the very trust that our Savior had as the Lord God shepherded him through his death on the cross. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We ultimately see then that Psalm 23 is rightly one of those resurrection psalms. As we look at the flow of the Psalter, this is the psalm that comes after the cross. And it comes after the cross because Jesus was shepherded through the cross, onto the other side. And that other side, I believe we are met with there in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now some, in light of this shift in imagery, going from the rural and talking about sheep and valleys with Shepherds' staffs and paths and green pastures and still waters. And now all of a sudden looking at a table and anointing oil and a cup. There seems to be an abrupt shift in the imagery of this psalm. But I have to tell you that it makes sense if we think in terms of Jesus being shepherded through the valley of the shadow of death... By his Father, he emerges on the other side victorious, triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. In fact, that's what verse 5 means, to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's a picture of triumph. It's a picture of victory. Genesis chapter 14 actually illustrates this very fact for us. Abraham, when he went out to rescue his nephew Lot, had to go up against several kings there uh, in his territory. keter Laomer, the kings of Sodom. There was a massive battle going on and his nephew got caught up in the mix. Well, Abraham assembled his household, uh, a fighting force of men, and went and defeated all these kings, triumphed over them. And do you remember what happened after this triumph over his enemies that day? A king of righteousness appeared. The king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness, Melchizedek, came and he set up a table for Abraham in the presence of his enemies, his defeated enemies, and gave him bread and wine, made his cup overflow the picture of triumph through the battlefields and that's what we need to see here in verse 5 and that anointing of the head with oil oftentimes it's spoken of as the oil of gladness this is the gladness that comes from great triumph the cup running over is a celebratory cup a cup that would be filled to the brim and even spilling over in celebration of the triumph over the enemies. But what about this shift from the imagery then, as we go to table and to oil and cup, and then eventually down into the house? Well, you must understand that it's not a, a shift from the shepherd imagery to a whole different kind of imagery. As we've been saying, that the the notion of being a shepherd is intricately tied and intimately connected with the notion of being a king. That Saul, we get these glimmers right away, was not intended to be the king over God's people because he wasn't a shepherd. But David was. David was the shepherd, and therefore he was rightfully chosen by the Lord to be king. And I think what we see then in verses 5 and 6 is we've moved, yes, from the rural To a different setting. But we have not moved. From the imagery. Of shepherding. We move from the rural to the royal. This dominion. This kingship. This anointed head. This household. These are all things that still pertain. To the shepherd king. Of course. We see then. Not only that Jesus has triumphed as the true Davidic king over death, the last great enemy, and his triumph is not merely celebrated here, but we have the last verse that summarizes what the Lord does. As we shift back to different language now, David not singing to the Lord, but giving us something of a summary statement now. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is instructing us that this victory that the king has enjoyed over his enemies is not simply a victory to be enjoyed by himself, but it is a victory that is really a means to a greater end. That this triumph over enemies is a means to a secure dwelling place. A secure dwelling place where the Lord himself dwells and that he gets to dwell with the Lord everlastingly. And as he's on his path towards the dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, he is pursued by goodness and mercy, or mercy there could all it comes from the Hebrew Hesed, that covenant love. That goodness and covenant love follow him or pursue him. Chase him, you could say, into the house of the Lord, his eternal dwelling place. The victory of Jesus Christ over death, the victory of Jesus Christ over. The enemies of sin, Satan, and death is not simply for Jesus to revel in his victories. Not simply to have a table set before him to rub it in the face of his enemies. Ultimately, Jesus' victory is a victory to bring all of the sheep of his flock safely to dwell with him and with his father forever. Jesus makes this last point clear. He told his disciples one day up in the upper room, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus, as the Davidic King, is dwelling in the house of the Lord even now. And that dwelling place isn't only for himself, but as he's assured all of his disciples, as he's assured you and me from these words in John's gospel, he has gone, yes, to dwell with the Lord, to dwell with his Father, but he's gone to prepare a place for us that we may be with him where he is, that we may dwell together. In the house of the Lord forever. So that's Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. Images taken from David's life, no doubt, but ultimately transporting us to consider Jesus Christ the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ the true Davidic King who, yes, laid down his life for his sheep and passed to that valley of the shadow of death, but who emerged triumphant on the other side. And that's really, I think, the comfort that we can take in this psalm. That as we think about the Lord as our shepherd, we need to understand that it is not only David who is singing these words, but ultimately it is Jesus Christ who is singing these words. In other words, the Lord comes with the highest endorsement one could ever have. Jesus is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And look at what the Lord has done in shepherding me all my life long. The Lord led me through death. The Lord led me through death without fear. Because of his presence with me. So Jesus is commending the Lord as his shepherd and as our shepherd. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he is also Lord, that he is all the characters in this psalm that we just sang about. He is the greater King David and he is the Lord himself. He knows what it is to be a shepherd and he knows what it is to be a sheep. And so as we look to the Lord and Jesus Christ as our shepherd, we are looking to one who is a forerunner, who knows what it is to be a sheep and to be shepherded so well through this life into an eternal dwelling place. And so, as we sing Psalm 23 this month, we are singing in union with Jesus Christ. Yes, affirming that the Lord is our shepherd, but affirming even more than that, that Jesus Christ, King David, is our shepherd. Revelation 7 17 reads, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are the sheep of Christ's flock. And because we are, we can have the absolute assurance that as we pass through death, we will be passing through, yes, a dark valley, But we will emerge triumphant on the other side. We will have the never-ending source of living water to provide eternal life. And we can be assured that this will be the greatest comfort to our souls, that when we do pass through that valley, the presence of the Lord will be with us. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death can be a sad and terrifying thing. But when we understand who is with us through that great moment of darkness, we can take comfort. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we need not fear the last great enemy, that we have a shepherd, we have a king who has passed through and triumphed victoriously. We thank you that we can sing these precious words this month to remind us of that reality. That although none of us have ever tasted death, we have a Savior who has. We have a shepherd who has. And we also have a shepherd who has conquered this death. And so we thank you for the comfort that we can have by singing this month, the Lord is my shepherd. We can sing of one who has shepherded through death and that in union with him, we too can be assured that we will be shepherded in the same way, to pass victoriously through death's dark veil. We give you thanks and praise for this comfort and this assurance found in Jesus Christ alone.